Welcome back everyone to R2Cast number 177. I do apologise, I have somewhat of a cold. I had one about two weeks ago and it seems to have come back worse. Um, but as we were just saying off camera, today and today's guest, uh, myself and today's guest, um, it seems like everyone does. So uh, I'm sure you'll allow it. If anything, it gives me a wee bit of a softer voice than the strong Scottish accent that I have normally. Um, the last episode we had with Guion Parry, one of my Nuffield cohort, um, was number 176, such as the way of numbers. And uh, Guion spoke about his career working at home, a bit of fun at Aberystwyth University, travelling to New Zealand. Uh, he's now a scanner. Now, when you hear scanner, you normally think probably sheep scanning, pregnancy scanning. Uh, but he's actually a scanner of fat depth and marbling. So he's looking at that to try and sort of find the perfect perfect meat quality, essentially. And his... Um, his Nuffield scholarship is related to that. So it's looking at sort of eating quality and in, in, uh, in meat and why we don't really have such a good grading system as we do, um, as they do in Australia, Japan, the States, and the sort of that disconnect between the, between the producer and the consumer. So if that is up your street, go listen to Guion's episode there. And also the other one that would be of interest to you is probably one of our other Nuffield cohort doing a similar topic in Jock Gibson. So um, both of them might be, be up your street if that's your sort of thing. The next episode we have, um, we're kind of in this sort of stage that I don't fully know. I've got a feeling it's going to be Sam Watson-Jones, um, but not 100% sure. Uh, it's not fully organised yet. Who's next? Still quite excited about that 180th episode coming up quite soon with a uh, darts player, which I think is genius of an 180th episode with a darts player. But that's just my little my little uh, twist on on the podcast. Um, today's guest is another uh, of that Nuffield cohort. I actually did some counting. We have if we have Sam on, we have two more to go after that. So we're very much getting near the end. Is it three? Oh God, I can't remember now. Was he part of the three or two? It doesn't matter. We're very near the end, um, which is quite sad because I've really enjoyed sort of sitting down and having a really good chat with everyone. Um, because as I've said a few times, we went to that Nuffield conference, 400 folk around. You're like, oh great, there's 23 of us. Like, I'll get to know them all. It's three days. Um, that was not the case. So it's been quite fun to sort of been able to do this. But one of the people I did get to know a wee bit because we did sit together for about nine hours um, along with Cormac, who we've we've filmed earlier, and uh, Yasmin, we haven't done a podcast with her, uh, not yet. She was just there as my partner. She's not a Nuffield uh, scholar this year. Sorry, Yasmin, if you're listening. Maybe one day. Um, but our guest today is Rachel Yarrow. Rachel, would you like to say hello? Hi. Looking forward to this. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Oh, here, not at all. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Looking forward to it. And uh, just before we get started with another episode of the R2 cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, Howden Rural formerly known as A-Plan Rural. Howden are heavily involved in the social media scene in the ag space with over 100,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories, as well as posting to their rural community blog with further articles about these people in the sector. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Howden Rural for that. Rachel's actually just been on a podcast in recent weeks, so uh, she's she said she's not a pro, but I'm sure she's she's almost there now. Uh, would that be a fair statement, Rachel? Or no, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I think like everyone as well. I hate the sound of my own voice on recording, so um, yeah, very um, looking forward to cringing when I um, listen to it back, or probably won't listen to it back. But um... <laughs> I think do that. I think it's quite common. Like, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know, my voice is out there so much now, I'm just sort of used to hearing it. And to be honest, because I'm on camera so often, it's different every time. Today it's quite soft with a cold and it's just like, you know, you just, 
you kind of get used yeah. to it, but uh, it's. Uh, I think we've always we always hate it a wee bit. Quite less like yeah. less other folk, but our sales is a bit. The worst thing ever. I used to be a teacher, and you, they sometimes used to film you teaching, or you were encouraged to be filmed teaching, so you could watch it back. And that was literally the worst thing ever because you suddenly realise you've got all these awful like verbal tics you do and uh, like mannerisms, and it's like, oh my god. <laughs> this is the- this is the nightmare with having however many hours out there. I think I've got like 200 hours worth of content out there. And you listen yeah. to maybe maybe ones you, you remembered someone said something or there is an episode I go back and listen to quite often when we're in Tanzania and Rwanda. This is a nice story. And I, I say so quite often. Um, I say, there's a few things I say, oh, geez, well, let's just use your vocabulary. You know more words. <laughs> uh, but it seems to be yeah. a cope. Um you mentioned teaching there, eh, Rachel. Could you yep. just, just give a wee bit of background to everyone? I mean, even before teaching and eh, sort of who Rachel Yarrow is, and and before sort of before before teaching, even was it was teaching what you wanted to do, or was that something that just came came about? No, um, no, that was something I fell into. Um, so I wasn't not well, very tenuous farming background, I guess. Um, my uh, my dad, like, so none of my family were really farmers but my dad did do a bit of farming kind of after university he was in south wales for a while and he got into beekeeping and he was a commercial beekeeper for um a while when i was a child but then he went into um like financial world investments um so but i did used to want to be a vet uh and then at some point oh i did work experience and then went off the idea of being a vet (laughs) (laughs) and then i don't really think i had any idea what i wanted to do but i always liked um books and reading so i did english at university um sort of thought at some point that an idea would come to me of what I wanted to really wanted to do um it didn't really uh so at the end of university I was looking around things to do and I applied for various things half-heartedly like the prison service graduate scheme and um like uh accountancy and teaching and the only one I actually sort of finished the application of was teaching then I got distracted with finals and then suddenly yeah there I was doing um secondary school teacher training uh so yeah um but no I thought I the idea of being a teacher was always quite um sort of horrifying to me um (laughs) but then when I actually was doing I got I did enjoy it once I got started on it as a career um and it was very challenging very rewarding kind of career I guess um but yeah I did it for about 10 years and then um I guess I had sort of realized that I was starting to feel a bit like there was I probably didn't want to just carry on climbing the kind of um, career ladder in teaching. Uh, I was kind of at the point where, so I was a head of department and the next step would have been to apply for something like an assistant head or deputy head position. Um, and I just felt like, I don't know, I actually went for an interview for a job being an assistant head and I was sitting there in the interview. And I just thought, oh God, I'm not giving good answers. And I, the reason is because I don't really care about this stuff and I don't really want this is not a job I actually really want and it was a bit of a sort of moment of clarity and then um, a few months later um, we were on holiday in Italy and I happened to be leaning on an old woman and home magazine that someone had left in the villa we were staying in that had an article in it about um, cheesemakers one of the cheesemakers had a herd of goats and then when we were on the plane on the way home kind of going you know don't want to go back to teaching my husband we weren't married then but um Fraser was kind of also not particularly looking forward to going back to his job so we started joking about becoming cheesemakers and then 
yeah, by the time the plane had landed, we'd sort of got a bit obsessed with the idea. Um, and then, yeah, kind of went from there. Sorry, that was a bit of a long answer to... Yeah, no, it's brilliant. I love, that. I love that. It makes my job easier. It means I don't really have to work too much. Um, just quickly, what was it you were teaching at secondary? Uh, English. English. Oh, God, I absolutely hated English. I just, I just didn't <laughs> understand it. <laughs> I was like, I know what the word means, but why do I have to say that the curtain's blue and that means something? Like, yeah, <laughs> I struggled with that. Um, yeah, a lot of um, I think a lot of people feel like that. It's um, yeah, I kind of some yeah, I, I, I yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, it's it's um, it's quite a lot of folk have that, don't they? They have like a an out of out of uni job that they really enjoy, but they know it's not forever. I think. I've I've yeah. a lot of folk in that position where like I think folk go into you know some folk go into a job and they're like oh this is my forever thing but mm. like whereas like <clears throat> my parents and and maybe even more so before that you get a job at eighteen and that was you till you retired it just never mm -hmm. happens now and I love what, looking at the different paths that you see folk take um, yeah even like that induction day we had like mm -hmm. the different backgrounds you know yes we've all got a relation to food production but in general mm. it's uh, it's not. Did you ever consider the beekeeping side? Because that's interesting. Following in your, was it your father's footsteps? Yeah. No. Um. I didn't actually, and I don't really no. know why. My dad is so passionate about it, and he's um, he. I think he probably had about a decade where he wasn't keeping bees, but then he's been back keeping them again, and he's retired a few years ago, and now he's like really serious about it again. <laughs> and um, it's, it is really interesting actually, but it's only recently I've actually kind of asked him about it, and um. Yeah, no, it's just one of these things, like, I think sometimes the things your parents do, you just completely take for granted, don't you? It's a bit like, oh, yawn. I mean, my kids are a bit like that with um, what phrase when I do. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, cheese, you know, oh, goat, how boring. Um, so, yeah, but um, I do remember, like, they, um, we used to have little sort of child bee suits and go and, go and look at the hives and stuff um, and doing honey extracting and stuff. I do remember enjoying that, but um no i've never actually had the urge to keep bees myself i would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information about our primary sponsors howden rural the new name for a plan rural howden rural provide bespoke insurance cover for farms and estates this could be for anything from tractors and machinery to a new exciting diversification venture be sure to check out howden rural today you're you're right about what you're saying about your parents aren't you like i mean I think a lot of the stuff my parents do is cool, but I probably didn't really realise when I started the whole R2K thing and I started documenting about food production, like then I started going to mum's polytunnel and sort of seeing what mum and dad were doing. And I'm like, mm. I think it's because like when you meet someone and like you, you know, you and I meet and you're like, oh, I make cheese. I'm like, oh, that's really cool because that's the part, like bang, that's what happens. Whereas mm. you were born and bees were there and bees were there. This is what happened. So it removes that sort of element of, oh, that's a thing. That's really cool. Um, mm. But yeah, I've got uh, my colleague, Gemma, really close friend of mine I work with has, has just started uh, taking our beekeeping course and uh, every week I'm like so tell me about the beekeeping course this week uh, quite interested in it it's, uh, it's a pretty cool it's just cool isn't it because we, we can't do it you know like, I, I, that's why I've always sort of made it quite sort of high up in my head but you've you've been on that flight Rachel and you've you've sort of put the world to rights and decided right okay we're gonna get into cheese I'm mm -hmm. guessing you didn't quit the jobs as you landed. <laughs> it's not a, a straight-away deal. Uh, how how <laughs> did that sort of process go? Um, well, we'd, I mean, it was, <laughs> I yeah, I do look back and kind of think, God, we were, that was, yeah, 
I can't believe, kind of can't believe we had the sort of gumption to go ahead and do it because it's, it's such a massive change. Um, and it's probably a good thing we didn't know how much hard work was ahead because um, it might have been too often a thing. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, we didn't take, I mean, yeah, just like Googled how to make cheese, first of all. And then I went to the local library and got out all the books they had on goats and read those. Um, and then started just like looking for people that had goats or had some connection to cheese making that we might be able to go and visit. Um, we went and did a course at the School of Artisan Food on, um, I think it was called something like Food Entrepreneurship. Um, did a one day course, then started doing some cheese making courses like Fraser and I both did different ones at the School of Artisan Food as well. And then we did one together at um, another cheese maker. Um, then we started making cheese at home. Um, and it was pretty horrible to begin with. And then it gradually got slightly better. Um, but it wasn't that. I think I handed in my notice about, um, I don't know, it was like seven or eight months after we had the first idea. And we hadn't actually got, we hadn't really got a place to keep the goats at that point because we were just living in a semi, um, semi-detached semi house in Didcot, which is a town, very much a town, um, with <laughs> a medium-sized garden. So um, it was a bit of a leap of faith, but I think, yeah, I sort of realised that we needed to kind of go for it to make it happen. So, um, yeah, we did. Um, so, two questions. I've got yeah. a feeling the answer to the first one, but two questions. The first one's why goats? And two, and I think it's probably related to the answer of the first question, did you have some in the garden before you then went elsewhere? Um, so the first question, I don't know exactly. Um, Fraser used to say it's like jokes that he wanted to get a goat and a donkey at some point before we'd ever right. had the idea. Um, I think there was something about the fact that they were a bit more, they're a bit of a niche farm animal. Um, and I think that sense of kind of learning about an animal and to keep an animal that's a bit outside the sort of mainstream was probably quite appealing to us. And also that they're, they're not as big as a cow so I always feel like I could take a goat <laughs> you know, like a fully grown goat it's not going to be you know might be a similar weight to me or some of them are bigger than me but you know they're basically for sure you know I've, I can probably outsmart them whereas a cow I always feel like they could kill you so um maybe there's a bit of that as well um <laughs> and that's definitely something that's kept me interested in goats I think because there's a lot of stuff that people just they're quite misunderstood animals and you know they're quite under-researched and um yeah so I kind of quite like that um sense that you can sort of um you know find out you can learn new things about them and um especially in this country they're not kind of kept they're not they've not been traditionally farmed as much as they have in a lot of other countries so um we've got kind of got a lot to still learn about how to get the best out of them I suppose um and we didn't get goats first in the garden but we did pretty early on have um we got two kids from another cheesemaker and those did live in, live in our garage for the first like three or four months we had them at <laughs> home um <laughs> which looking back was probably unnecessary they probably would have been fine living um so yeah, we've got a farm tenancy now anyway. So they probably would have been it's not where we um it wasn't where we lived then and it isn't where we live now. But um yeah, they probably would have been fine, but we were very, very nervous about them getting too cold or um 
you know, what might happen if we didn't give them exactly scheduled feeds. So, yeah, we had them in little dog jackets in our garage with like a fan <laughs> and stuff, <laughs> which is like ridiculous. But yeah. They're, they're, they're animals that fascinate me. I mean, the, the whole idea of being able to bring milk onto an animal that with mm-hmm. you know, with no with no pregnancy is, is quite phenomenal the the fact that they they operate as fantastic adopted mothers to a completely different species from their own mm-hmm. uh, oh, just I, I love i love goats i mean it's funny <clears throat> i don't know if i've told you this over the, the course of the day we spent most of the day together um at the highland show there's like an rhs tv which is an update of what's happening throughout the, the week and uh <laughs> There's like basically the young farmers are in charge of presenting small little bits, and mm-hmm. the goat one was the one that was left till the end. And I didn't realize this. And the second I saw goats, were there, I was like, yes. So the video of me starts by me walking into the goat marquee at the Highland Show and going, "This is heaven in a tent," because I absolutely love them. They're my favorite animal. Well, up there were cats. Um, so uh, I, I took like cats too. Oh, oh, have you cat? oh my god, there's a cat next to you. <laughs> Hello, friend. Yeah. Um, That's Aggie. Aggie, what a great name. Yeah. Amazing. Um, yeah. oh, everyone listening is going to think we're weirdos because they can't see you. But oh, yeah, sorry. The gorgeous little kid. But don't apologise. I'm happy. That's what matters. Um, yeah, so no, I, I totally understand why you chose goats. And to be honest, I mean, it just it does make sense. You're not going to buy a cow, are you? And this is just sheep are mad. So it'd be mental to do on, on a small scale with sheep and goats. or uh, Cows would just be difficult. So. Um, yeah. So you went into a tenancy, is that right? And now you're yeah. not in that tenancy, is that correct? No, we are. We're still we're still, still tenants. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> How did they get in the yeah. tenancy go? Because some folk have challenges with that, or was that relatively seamless? Um, no, it was not seamless. Um, I mean, it's good. We live in a difficult part of the country for getting into farming. I'd say so. We're in Oxfordshire, um, which is like loads of. Well, we first very naively thought, oh, we'd just be able to sell our house and get, you know, buy a place with some land. Um, but no, absolutely not. Um, so you're competing with, you know, people with horses, um, people who can commute into London. And then all like there's so much housing development going on um, around here. So a lot of farm farmers are holding on to any land they think they might be able to get planning permission to. Um, and then there's a lot of big arable farms around as well. So yeah, no, it's it's difficult, but um, we kind of stumbled across. So we're uh, we're tenants of an environmental charity called Earth Trust, um, and they had, um, to some extent, still have a program called Farm Step, which was the which the purpose of which was to um, give people who didn't have um, a sort of background in farming and wanted to start a sustainable farming business mm-hmm. um, opportunity to kind of access land. Um, and so um, as it happened fraser was playing five-a-side football with the land manager at earth trust so um we sort of said what our idea was and then they um kind of invited us to thought they thought they had a sheep tenant and a pig tenant um and some people doing like a market garden and some beekeepers at the time um so they didn't have a goat they didn't have a dairy enterprise and they didn't have any goats so and they had fairly recently acquired um another farm um so they had quite a lot of empty sheds um so yeah we kind of um we had to present a business case to them and a farm consultant that they were using um 
but it was it took a long time so there's a lot of a dairy enterprise is a bit more complicated and there's a lot of stuff like dealing with um um wastewater and things like that um that are quite complicated getting the the environment agency to agree to that how we were going to handle oh it was like this thing to do with wastewater and was it counted as slurry or dirty water or dirty water which is a form of slurry it was like all this sort of you go round and round in circles and people are like yes but is it this or that it's like ah I mean (laughs) yeah I don't know um but so yeah I guess there was like about a year between when we first um talked to them about the idea and when we actually got a tenancy signed but um yeah it was a good it was a good opportunity because otherwise I don't know I'm sure we'd have found a way somehow to make it happen but um yeah it would have been yeah that was a good that was the kind of opportunity we needed i guess to get a foothold is it a good sort of organization that uh earth trust yeah 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 Earth trust. Yeah. yeah no it sounds good i've actually someone else on hugh is it edwards no hugh no that's the that's the news um, yeah <laughs> oh that's terrible that doesn't matter hugh of, i don't know if you came across an instagram page rachel called a uh, three pools permaculture um but I believe that was something similar. It wasn't that organization, but it was something similar that, that they sort of came into came into really. <clears throat> um but yeah, no, it's it's nice that because I think in mm. general tenancies are difficult to come by. And like you're saying, you're in a part of the country that it's difficult anyway. So it's sort of doubled up and in, in that. But um yeah. yes, the idea that came from the plane was buy a few few goats and, and then make some cheese. But how how many goats have you got now? Um, we've got about two hundred and twenty, I think, at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, our initial idea was to have thirty milking, but um, we quite quickly realised that that actually wasn't going to be enough to sort of. You need to work out where your sort of break even point is. Um, and in the first couple of years, when we had the goats as well, we, the first couple of years we were doing pretty much everything ourselves, all the milking, all the cheese making. And it's a sort of seven day, you know, you milk seven days a week. So therefore you make cheese seven days a week. And um, then we also had a baby. Um, and so it was like pretty hardcore, that um, that sort of way of life. Um, and yeah, so then then I think, again, we sort of realised that you have to you have to have to have enough scale where it makes sense that you can pay someone else to do um, some of the work so you can have a bit of time doing other things as well else you get burnt out very quickly i think yeah, or at least that, that was where we were headed so yeah <laughs> you these babies take a lot of time <laughs> yeah <laughs> they do um, and yeah. Farmer, so, yeah. yeah for sure that's it i know it's doubling up what's a White combination yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 what is it like a parlor is it how how does that mm-hmm. side operate is it just a, a small small not in amount small as in height of parlor is that right or um so so we, we're all in we're not in purpose-built buildings any of it it's all kind of um i don't know i guess they're like probably 1960s sheds like a lot of farms you know sort of there's a traditional bit and then there's an awful lot of stuff that's been added on yeah. a lot of you know, asbestosy stuff so the building we've got our parlor in was well it's most when we went there it was like had a load of boats and like old cars being stored in it um but we built a sort of like a metal platform in there we've got 12 um 12 stools um and we had oh to begin with we had four sets of clusters and now we've got 12 so you basically get 12 
goats in at a time um and milk them and then they go out um so yeah it's not i guess it's smaller than cows yeah um but uh, yeah i guess, yeah no it is smaller and you, you know you have two clusters rather than four on each point because goats have two teats on their udders um and they're also a lot cleaner i'm always um yeah when i see people milking cows there's a lot of um a lot of poo yeah, yeah. <laughs> the gates uh yeah you, yeah they usually very rarely get any poo in the parlor i'm glad to say so yeah it's pretty tidy in the hole um it's a different consistency that's coming out anyway which will add to that yeah, you know, yeah. not that's really right, yeah. splats on on a leg or anything like that as well i guess but uh, no malteser yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah <I'm sure> that's <laughs> maltesers after a, a day in the sun um <laughs> Stuck together a bit. Why did I say that? Why did I ruin Maltesers for everyone? Anyway, <laughs> sorry, that's my fault. <laughs> yeah, I just sort of jumped on it for some reason. Um, a few questions. So yeah. I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna, uh, no, I'm not. I'll get it wrong. Um, what breed is it you're using? What sort of yield do they get? And and is there, is there a what sort of butter facts? I'm guessing with cheese, that's a, a target is in the product. <clears throat> Um, so uh, we decided to um, have Anglo-Nubians when we started. And Anglo-Nubians are meant to be like the kind of Jersey cow of um, goats. And they're known for having high um, milk solids, so high um, uh, fat and protein. And indeed, that's true. Um, and the milk we get from our own herd, we compare it to um, we buy an extra milk at certain times of year. Um, and we always get much higher yields, cheese yields from our milk than we do from the milk we buy in um however the last like uh four years now nearly i think we've been increasingly using crossbred goats um so we've got some toggenberg crossed with nubians and we've got some british sarnen crossed with nubians as well um so they're kind of bigger volume goats um and we've just done our first um shot at ai um and that's we've used mostly french alpine semen so it's French semen because um, the French are like the kind of world leaders in um, goat uh, technology and kind of goat, you know, knowledge, science. Um, and then, yeah, we've got some sarn and um, semen as well. So, yeah, we've got kind of um, two two and three way mixes now because what we the thing with Anglo-Nubians is they haven't really been commercially farmed in this country. So um, there's quite a lot of genetic inconsistency. Um, and although you do get the high milk solids, um, get quite a lot of them that um, dry off early and um, it's hard to sort of, um, yeah, they can be hard to sort of get the consistency of yield. So our best Anglo-Nubians, they're milking like four litres a day plus, but a lot of them are more like two litres a day, settle down at around two litres a day. And that's kind of our break-even point on a goat is about 1.5 litres a day. So it's not really you know that's not really high enough um above that so yeah the crossbreds we find get more consistency they're good sort of thrifty goats um and one of my big interests is um grazing goats and having goats on pasture um and for that you want quite a sort of hardy goat so um because i mean maybe we'll come on to this but um not many people realize that most goats in most commercial goats in the commercial goats in the uk are permanently housed. I think it's like 87% of commercially 
farmed goats in the UK are permanently housed. Um, and there are good reasons why it's like that. But um, I'm quite um, passionate about, you know, the idea that it should be viable to have um, pasture-based systems that are commercially viable in this country as well. Um, so, yeah, and that's what my feels about, really, is kind of looking at how to make those kind of um, systems more viable and how to overcome some of the challenges, which are the reasons why so many goats are permanently housed in this country. You said there was good reasons for it. What were the good reasons for them being permanently housed? Um, well, one big problem um, is parasites. So managing um, nematodes and roundworms. Um, and that's kind of the two aspects to that, I guess. One of them is that there's just like a real lack of... Um, licensed products that you can use in um goats so um there's one currently um wormer with zero milk withhold that you can use in the uk um obviously if you're using one wormer again and again and again that's a recipe for resistance so you're in a very weak position from that point of view and most of the time well about half the time i think since we've had goats there have been no products on the market that are licensed for goats so then you've got your seven day statutory milk withhold which is, you know, just not viable. Yeah, so that's a big issue. And then the other side of the coin is that because goats um, have evolved to be browsers more than grazers, so like your sheep or cow, you know, they're like mowing. Um, goats are evolved to be selecting. Um, I mean, and sheep and cows do have this behaviour as well, but goats are much more towards this behaviour. So um, eating leaves, eating trees, and that's their kind of evolutionary strategy for avoiding contact with worms so whereas sheep and cows have evolved more of an um an immune response to um uh worm infections um goats don't have that um so they're much more especially goats like in lactation are much more prone to um to get heavy worm burdens um so you've kind of got the two i guess those two sides of the coins come together and that makes a big challenge um and then you've got things like the fact that a lot of um uh, goats don't like rain <laughs> so, <laughs> there isn't much research on this but there is one paper that like was looking at the behavior of goats when it rained and then when it rains and they're like basically they stop grazing when it rains um, and that is a behavior I've observed again and again um, so yeah then you have problems getting enough nutrition in them especially in dairy animals um, and then yeah there's also the fact that in this country a lot of goats are kept in the, the herd sizes are big and then therefore you get the kind of logistical problems with moving them around. Um, but I guess the opportunities for, to some extent that's true in cows as well. And there are permanently housed um, dairy herds with cows. Um, and I certainly don't think that it's the case that you can't have a high welfare herd that's permanently housed. Um, not at all. And when you think about health in the sort of rounder sense, then I think, you know, there's a very good arguments for why house systems can be, you know, very, um, yeah, you know, positive from an animal health point of view, from the goat's point of view, um, it could be just what they want. But um, I guess I feel like a resilient sector needs to have a variety of different systems it can use. And um, especially in sort of higher end um, products, I think you have a bit of a um, challenge um, if you, uh, you know, with consumer expectations of, you know, what animals will be able to do. And most British consumers expect um cows sheep goats to be outside 
and to you know want to be outside and for that to be sort of part of their life um and i do think there's a bit of a you know risk to our sort of social license um if we are, you know so so at odds with um what the british public kind of expect um and yeah it's an interesting um kind of argument whether you should be whether the yeah and it's true of lots of sectors isn't it to what extent should you be educating the public to understand that the systems that we use are sort of more positive than they think and a lot of their responses come from quite an emotive um place and from sort of you know thinking of their pets and thinking what their lives might be like rather than you know an understanding of what a farm animal is or is it you know you've got to accept that you're never going to win some of those arguments with the public you know things like free range eggs i mean i just think that argument is i don't know i don't know what you think about that but i kind of feel but like that argument lost, free range eggs is like a, a false advertising as a stretch but um, <laughs> yeah it's not what people think it is <laughs> you've got that free range chicken farm layer broiler whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> they're housed because they want to be <laughs> yeah. they've got access to go outside but they want to be inside so you go and like oh this is free range but there's no hens outside correct yeah that's fine. like uh yeah it's, it's a i think that's the thing with like when you're talking mm-hmm. standards and 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 i guess propaganda in some senses like a lot of it can be manipulated and mm-hmm. misunderstood uh, yeah. like you say maybe there is just one, some battles you can't win I don't yeah. know, I generally don't know but I think you're probably right, I think there's some yeah. battles we're never going to win and I think we have to accept that you know yeah. That's... <laughs> uh, yeah. but... well, I think to some extent maybe it is, I mean I know in um, like Germany and the Netherlands where they've got a lot more um, organic goats but they haven't necessarily got kind of like a massively long tradition of um, farming them and for what I hear I'd be interested to see this actually maybe I'll go to some of these countries on my nuffield but um you know they'll have a they'll technically have a door open to a field so that fulfills the organic kind of requirements that they're not shut up and you know like a lot of that language is what bothers people isn't it the idea that animals are like locked away and if you see in the kind of activist literature it's often that um but yeah in reality the goats are never going to go out there because why would they they've got all the food and shelter and they don't have a sort of concept of like <laughs> they, don't know, they don't have a concept of why fresh air is good they just want to feel safe and you know not be afraid and um have their friends and things like that but um I kind of I guess I feel like there is also uh you've got to kind of look at if if you've got a breed which is well suited to if you've got a landscape you want to farm and a breed which is well suited to kind of thriving in that landscape um and accustomed to being outdoors um, and your kind of whole system is making use of that sort of and what the nature of that animal is and like what the environment around you is giving you then that is the sort of um, I guess that's the holy grail isn't it of like what a good farming system looks like and I don't think I've seen many people certainly not a commercial scale do that in this country effectively with goats much more the case with sheep and cows but um, having a sort of the genetics which genuinely you know is benefiting from that more kind of extensive system and making use in their diet of what is growing there in that landscape and yeah and like you said but there might not be much research into it but yeah i'm pretty sure it's pretty conclusive they hate rain i mean they hate it you know it mm. starts raining and they're at the gate ready to come in and you know yeah. like, and and like you say it's more than just we don't like this it's 
they then start to sacrifice what they're producing. Like they just, yeah, it's it's pretty well, yeah. well maybe not well documented, but it's clear. Um, yeah. And, and like you said, there we went to a, a goat. We actually went to two goat farms of students last year. One, one a sheep and goat dairy, and then one a goat. What's the meat? It's goat, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah I was like, what's the word? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, mutton or whatever. I mean, yeah, for sure, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they had that. They had, you know, an inside, like it was basically just a house section, but with a gate open to a pasture. And we were there for maybe I don't know what an hour, and I think two ventured out. It was a nice day. Two ventured out for a wee bit, sauntered mm -hmm. back in. Like it wasn't like in any way their desire to be. They're designed to be was outside, um. So you've got that upward battle, like you say, like with sheep and cattle. Yes, you can put them out, and it's marketable because they're grass fed and they're outside and all that stuff. Yada yada yada, yeah. as it should be, um. But you've got the 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 act of. I don't want to be there. <laughs> it's really difficult. Yeah, it's a tricky one to sort of promote that. Mm -hmm. Probably more sustainable when you look at it. Um. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned AI, Rachel. Just to jump back to that one. Um. Yeah. Is it? Is it an AI that a vet has to do? Is that like the same as a sheep? Is it laparoscope? What's the sort of? Um, no, it was. Um, it is. Uh, it was transcervical. If I pronounce that right. Transcervical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not that um sort of advanced in this country. Go AI, but it is. There are these guys, Tyndale vets in the southwest, that um have kind of specialised in it. Um, and I mean, we got like I think we got about sixty. To seventy percent pregnant from it, which is good apparently. Um, like forty percent was apparently considered good. So, um, yeah, we were pleased with that. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I think the sync protocols are probably the same for for sheep. Um, yeah. And yeah, I don't know why they do it. Um, don't do it laparoscopically actually, but um, or maybe something. My anyway. opinion is, if you can avoid laparoscopic, like, I yeah. hate. It. I don't think it's allowed. I've mm -hmm. quite vocal with this a few times. I think it's completely wrong. I think you're putting something twice the twice 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 the width of a pen. Mm. I just mm. feel, I don't like it. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a bit of that element anyway with doing AI. You're feeling a bit like you're, yeah, kind of playing God a bit. Um, I mean, I guess you always are when you're farming, aren't you, to some extent? But um, yeah, it was kind of um. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely wouldn't have imagined when we were on the plane. We weren't imagining, the kind of, yeah, doing sync protocols and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, <laughs> I guess yeah, yeah. Thing goes. yeah, yeah, it makes never nothing's ever as simple as you think it's going to be, is it? No. I thought, yeah, I kind of naively thought, oh yes, we'd do everything in the kind of good way. We'd be good farmers, you know. And it's like, oh wait a minute. <laughs> there's loads of different ways to be a good farmer <laughs> exactly that's it and yeah. there's you know i've brought on a few folk on the podcast to one one guy that i always shout out was a uh, josh hanica of park carrig who him and his partner abby were on a bus in london and they were doing the sort of the you know mm -hmm. box conventional rat race of london yeah whatever the job was mm -hmm. i can't remember and then they um they saw this Basically, oh, they the people. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what a fantastic mm -hmm. story because they basically saw this thing. Oh, how how hard can it be to farm? Went mm -hmm. to Wales, said this. I mean, like, I'm not saying this. This is exactly what Josh told me. How this is going to be easy. It's not going to be difficult. Um, mm -hmm. we're doing very well. Then struggled. 
and they made a really good Josh made a really good point at the end. He was like, so many people look at farming from the outside and say, Well, that's gonna be easy. <laughs> How hard can it be? You know, the David Mitchell thing. You put grain in the ground, it fucking makes you money. You know, like that sort of thing, that sort of idea is is there. And it's it's true that there's there's one, it's not easy, and two, there's so many ways to do it well, and it's interesting to see the different ways. Um mm -hmm. but speaking of that plane, uh a plane is probably something that'll be um you'll be going quite near a few times in the next year or so. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us tell us a bit about Nuffield. I've asked everyone this, if I've remembered to. Uh, why Nuffield and how long have you known of Nuffield, first off? I can't remember, actually, whether it was our farm vet who mentioned it first and then I heard it on the Archers or whether I'd heard it on the Archers and then our farm vet started talking about it. But um, those were the kind of two things that brought Nuffield into my sort of consciousness i guess um and it was fairly soon afterward i maybe we were like a year or two into doing it i think i feel like that was about and i thought that sounds really cool um but had a you know tiny baby in a farm which we were struggling to get an hour away from so the idea of doing traveling was ridiculous um and then yeah no i remember hearing about it on the archers um storyline uh, a bit embarrassed to be an Archers listener, but um, there you I've go. Never I never listened to it, but I've been a few. <laughs> so, how, just quickly, how does the Archers work? Is it like a radio soap on yeah, a farm? Exactly that. Yeah, it's oh. been going for like oh, I don't even know ages. It started in like yeah. the or something, and I started listening to it. So my mum listened to it, so I started listening to it. It was about ten, um, and it's like twelve minutes a day or something like that. Yeah, um, and it's kind of farming storylines somewhat, but. Um, yeah, the like cheese and goat related ones always make me particularly cross because, I mean, it's a, so yeah, they kind of, actually the cheese making ones have improved a bit in recent years. I think they're getting better advice, but still some of the things are just like, what? No. Anyway, one of the characters on there did enough field and went off to Canada to research something rather to do with, I think it was to do with agroforestry actually. Anyway, um, and then my farm bet had said, um, have you ever thought of doing one? Because he kind of thought I would, because I'm always wanting to like read the research and sort of, um, you know, I was always asking about how people, um, he's quite interested in research. He's likes goats and has um, traveled quite a lot. And um, yeah, he was um, saying, I think you'd like it. Um, and then uh, some point in the summer, it came up on a list. I did, uh, I did a sort of mini course. Um, I can't remember. It was something that Def responded, I think it was to do with, um, business progression or something like that. Anyway, it was a list of grants and Nuffield came up and obviously Nuffield isn't a grant. And I was like, oh, Nuffield, yeah. Like, is this going to be the year I'll apply? I'd looked at it a few times and then I looked and like, you know, the deadline is when you're 45 and um, I was 40 last October. So I thought, well, I should probably, <laughs> maybe I should like start thinking, time's going to run out if I'm not careful. Um, and I won't have done it. So then, um I think I arranged a call with Charlotte to sort of, so I was trying to think, is it, you know, is the idea of doing it with young children just ridiculous and I should forget it? And Charlotte said, well, most people, you know, aren't successful on their first application. So, you know, why not put in an application and then it could be good practice. And like maybe the first year you won't get an interview, but the second year you will or something like that. And then the third year you'll get accepted. I was like, yeah, okay, right. Yeah. I should just start. I should just start. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I did ask, um, I said, ask Fraser and he was like, well, you know, apply. And then let's, we'll cross the bridge of like, how you'll, how we'll do it when we come to it. Um, so yeah, I, um, 
applied. I knew exactly what topic I'd do because um, I've been doing, well, it's like, yeah, my big topic. And I've been doing, um, uh, I've been studying through Aberystwyth University. Well, I've never actually been to Aberystwyth, but um, I'm a distance learning student. So I've been doing a lot of reading on sort of um, goat, different sort of goat systems from around the world. And I've done a bit of YouTube tourism, but um, I don't know, there's nothing like seeing for yourself, is there, when it comes to like farming and animals. Um, so it's kind of like, yeah, it was a bit of a dream come true. Anyway, cut long story short, I did apply. Then I got an interview and then I got accepted. And I was a bit like, oh, holy cow. Um, okay. Um, and yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's kind of how it, how it came about. First off, aren't you supposed to say holy goat? And <laughs> actually, now we say that, that may, be a, that may be a thing in some cultures now, if I can say that out loud. Um, and secondly, what is the course at Aberystwyth with? Um, so it's basically an MRes, which is like Masters by Research. Yeah. I started off on the MSc route, but then I changed to the research route because basically I wanted to do more um of my own research. Um, but yeah, you you um choose from so it's aimed at people who are kind of professionals working in um food and farming sector, and they have um I don't know it's like fifteen or twenty taught modules you can choose from. So I think I've done four or five. Um, things like ruminant nutrition, ruminant production. Uh, I did an organic and low input one. I did one on silage, a module on silage. That was really good. Um, so yeah, it's all distance learning, but um, they've really like nailed delivering distance learning stuff. So there's loads of the lectures are on podcasts. So like listen while milking or, you know, wrapping cheese or something. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, it's, I've learned such a lot doing it um i'm like a bit of a massive geek anyway so um yeah it's um yeah <laughs> enjoyable it was very different i did my um my undergraduate i think i said it was english literature um so yeah it's quite different um although like science is quite quite interesting uh, that's quite strange <laughs> huh? so again? somewhat of a change of course from english to... yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, tell us about the Nuffield plan then. So that's what Nuffield is. What's what's uh, what's your plan now? You have been successful. So um, I want to visit countries where they've got a kind of tradition of goat farming and um, alongside cheese making. Um, and I think my title is the Dream British Cheese Goat. Like, can we imagine a goat which would kind of thrive in the thrive outdoors in the British landscape as a sort of cheese making goat? Um, so in a lot of countries in Europe, particularly, um, they've kind of kept goats traditionally. So Spain, France, Italy, Greece is actually like one of the goat capitals of Europe. So places where they have um, traditionally kept and sort of improved breeds for um, farming in those kind of more extensive landscapes. And then that's often sat alongside um, cheese making um, and often, you know, rearing the kids for meat as well. And just kind of look at what the goats in those systems are like genetically, what the systems themselves are like, what the kind of people are like um, who are, you know, running them and, and making success of them. And, yeah, looking for lessons, I guess, of what might work, if anything, back in the UK. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think I said those countries, but also quite um, Norway is quite an interesting one. They have not like loads of goats, but they have, again, quite a tradition of goats um you know the no fence collars 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So apparently they were actually developed for goats in Norway. It's like one of the very few things <laughs> that's been actually developed with a goat in mind rather <laughs> than a cow sheep. Um and yeah, I'm quite so that's a country I'm quite interested potentially to go to. And then like I was mentioning, the Netherlands and Germany are interesting because they have quite a lot of goats. Um but they're a bit more like the UK in terms of they haven't got like a massive long tradition of um keeping them on sort of the mountainsides like they do more in southern Europe. Um yeah. Possibly North America as well. There's quite a bit of goat farming in America. North America. North America just and and the states in particular, like because it's one country, but it's it has everything. Yeah. Every Nuffield scholar could go mm-hmm. to the states. I, I actually started, I was like, I'm not going to States or New Zealand. Pretty sure I'm going to both. Like I, just, I wanted to not because I've got so much. But the one thing, first off, question: What is your opinion? I say question as if I've never asked a question in the podcast before. Um, opinions on virtual fence and no fence, whatever you call it, because I don't know how far I am. I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2 Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug. The sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. Um, so I've seen it being used with meat goats um, pretty successfully. I mean, they would have some pretty huge advantages. It would open up. Um, so, you know, places where it's hard to use um, conventional electric fencing or you know it's impractical to have fencing and fencing's so expensive yeah. um and logistically moving electric fencing around so expensive as well so if you can get um goats to learn and respect it and understand it then yeah i think it's got massive potential i have looked into using it i think the barriers are it's still pretty expensive so unless you can get some grant funding or you know you're not you don't have many animals then i think it's still for most people the price point is probably still a challenge um and it does seem like you have to train them which i think would be quite time consuming as well so it'd probably be great once you'd all you know they'd all learnt it and sounds like they usually get some individuals that just don't respect it as well um well much like we had definitely have some individuals that don't respect fences for of any type yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah sometimes they just yeah burgers is the option for them um <laughs> but um yeah i think that that's probably the sort of main things i think what are your reservations about it well, there's two reservations and they could both be complete nonsense but the two reservations i have are mm-hmm. let, let's consider that one or two that don't respect it Mm-hmm. Is there a welfare issue with what they're going to then experience? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not true, but that's just sort of a first thought. And my second thought, and I think this is very much more the pragmatic part, is you create a, an area, right? Mm-hmm. And that's fenced, perfect, grand. Yeah. It's there for two months. Okay, excellent. They know exactly where, if they go any further, they're going to get a wee zap, so they just don't mm-hmm. go. The day mm-hmm. you then try move them, mm-hmm. surely that's going to be hellish. Because they're um, like, well, I don't want to go past there. Now, obviously, if you catch them and put them in a trailer within, fair enough. But if you're moving sort of bit to bit with hmm. the fence, that must be tricky. Maybe not. 
I don't know. It's just in my head. That's how it seems. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess in terms of the electric shocks, I don't know if there's any, is there a like fundamental difference to them getting a shock from an electric, you know, a physical electric fence. Like they still get the they still get a cue before they're shocked. So yeah. they get it's like it plays a like little tune. I think so. They still got that sort of warning. I think the actual the magnitude of a shock would be not any difference to what they get off a conventional electric fence so i mean i guess there's arguments against conventional electric fences as well from that point of view um but you can get you they they know they've walked into this thing oh god that's the thing that's done this yeah it's on my neck they're like well where'd i go and at mm -hmm. first i assume that's quite un that's quite hard for them to understand they might even just jolt run away and suddenly they're still completely out of that area and it's just going to keep happening yeah I don't know. Um, I've never done it. I've never worked with it. They get set, so there's a certain limit to how many shocks they can get in a day okay. or whatever. I mean, you then do get, obviously, an animal not in the right place, but I think you have an app and you get an alert, so, you know, you have to go and... Find them. Um, yeah, same as in real, you know, real fencing, whatever you call it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know about moving, actually. I mean, there must be... A, there must be... I can do it. I'm not sure how that works. You can also do it so you have a um, you use it with a some sort of visual cue. Um, so you like put either like lay a rope on the ground or you know have a sort of one string of non electrified wire or something like that. So you train them with a cue or carry on using it, I suppose. So they've got a visual cue as well. Um, but yeah, I do find it quite fascinating because of how much you know potential there could be for. Um, yeah, going on sort of grazing on places where otherwise it would be difficult to. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm by no means the expert in it anyway. <laughs> no, no, and, and I'm, I'm much behind you as well. It just that's the thing that's always sprung to mind. The other question I had was <laughs> um, the countries you mentioned, Italy, Spain, Greece, France, potentially Holland and Germany. Ger apart from Germany, the climates are pretty different. Hmm. A lot drier, and obviously the rain is the issue is one of the 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 issues with outside. Is there any places that you're aware of that have goats that have a somewhat more wet climate, shall we say? <laughs> well, I mean, parts of France are not that dissimilar to the UK. Parts, yeah. parts are, parts are, parts aren't. So that's somewhere I'm quite interested in. Um, and I mean, there are so there are these goats called rose goats. I don't know if I pronounced that right, actually, in the south of France. Um, and they are allegedly out pretty much all year, including in at quite high altitudes. So they are they will have rain and snow and things like that in the winter. Um, and they're not like massively high yielding, but they're also so I think they're doing something like four or five hundred litres a year, whereas, um, you know, like a high yielding dairy goat, British dairy goat might be more like. 2000 liters a year um but they are almost having almost no concentrate at all so it's all kind of forage um so like a goat like that interests me because that sort of resilience they're meant to be quite like good in drought and in sort of cold um i mean this is where i'm like i want to see for myself because i feel like what does that goat look like um so yeah and i mean for a lot of places in even northern Italy I mean they do have rain in Italy um it is drier and hotter and 
you know, more. But, you know, goats are often kept in mountainous places because they can cope with that sort of, um, those kind of gradients and sort of difficult terrain in a way that cows can't. So they've often been kept as dairy animals in those sort of landscapes. And where you've got mountains, you often have rain and thunderstorms and, um, you know, changes of weather. Very hot sometimes, um, cooler other times. So, yeah, I'm I'm not convinced that's so different to what we You're have. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably wrong, to be honest, because otherwise, why aren't we keeping goats more here? Um, so I probably am. And my supervisor, Aberystwyth, basically, when, yeah, I was like what my project was, he was said, well, it's obvious, like, <laughs> goats are good in hot, arid, mountainous areas, and that's not what we've got here. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing, like, change happens. I mean, it's, it's so easy to sit <laughs> in, and it's pretty much the question I was asking you, really. It was kind of what I was saying. Like, yeah why are they there you know but mm. here that's what Nuffield's all about it's about finding yeah. what could change things and you never know we might be speaking they, they use a lot more dairy goats in the uk and i don't yeah. know again i don't know another sort of pet project i've got is to write a history of goats in the uk at some point because apparently they used to be loads more and pre the um like the enclosures act in the 18th century you know and a lot of common land was um, fenced off so a lot of people would have a house goat a lot of you know cottages would have a house goat um, they produce the kind of amount of milk and meat that is really you know perfect for a family a few pints a day you know much more manageable than a cow and then you've yeah. got a nice carcass you can slaughter at the end of the year and a couple of kids um, and they eat all sorts of you know, they're very versatile in what they'll eat they eat all sorts of like kitchen waste um, they eat the things that grow as weeds in this country you know brambles thistles all that kind of stuff so there were apparently a lot more kept and there were a lot more in Scotland, I think, as well, like free Highland clearances. Um, and then because of like the wool prices going through the roof together with the Enclosures Act. So then everyone was kind of making these pastures, you know, fencing off pastures, laying claim to what had been common ground. Um, and, you know, goats aren't that great at staying in fields. So um they yeah it fell out of favour and a lot of um yeah there's a lot of movement of rural communities to the urban areas so that kind of have a few animals for the house um idea sort of got lost there a bit and just no there wasn't any no one sort of took it upon themselves at that time when a lot of the breeds of sheep and cow were being kind of formalised like there just wasn't anyone doing that for goats just because I don't know I mean maybe it was no one's pet interest and then it was only when the kind of the British Goat Society they started in like the 1860s and that was about trying to improve goats for kind of cottages again so people had a kind of nutritious milk supply and they could keep them in the garden or keep them on a little bit of land um so I don't know I'm quite interested in this idea that you know maybe the goat actually does have a history in this country and isn't such a sort of um bizarre niche farm animal to be <laughs> trying to keep here um but or alternatively you know you take my supervisor's view that there's a good reason why we haven't um ended up farming goats here and um yeah people like me are just idealistic and um <laughs> doomed to failure um, I, I don't think that's the case i think you need folk to sort of look outside the box and, and think well why why is it not working and can it and here global warming maybe maybe in 20 30 years time will be the perfect environment for what what we expect it to be at the minute but um well 
I mean, yeah. certainly animals are versatile. Like what a goat is always good at is versatility. Um, and yeah, being able to make use of like lots, I mean, ruminants in general are, but goats, you know, even more so. Um, and I think, yeah, if we look to what the climate is going to do, then it is, it's change, isn't it? It's, um, it's going to be more extremes. It's going to be, yeah, we're going to be wanting to kind of utilize more and more things that we haven't sort of thought we could utilize before. Um, so yeah, I kind of think the goat could be the sort of perfect animal for that, like more, you know, adaptable, more versatile. You know, they work, they are supposed to work really well in like silvopasture and agroforestry um, systems, like because again, they're like versatility, they're great climbers. Um, they've got very robust mouths and teeth and tongues. And um, yeah, like that could really be an opportunity, couldn't it? Um, or it could just make them a massive pain in the ass to farm and <laughs> <laughs> best off without them. <laughs> the jury's oh. out. <laughs> well, that's it. And as you're going to find out in here, I look forward to reading it and, oh, I say reading it and just sort of following the journey and and then reading it later on. And um, obviously for those of you listening, most of you now know that uh, you can't see this, but I'm currently wearing a green, blue and yellow uh, jumper. It's obviously the colour of Brazil. Um we're all heading out to Brazil, Rachel, well, Rachel, myself, and 21 others, and then all the, the Nuffield International as well. So looking forward to doing that with yourself. I assume that'll be the next time we'll, we'll cross paths, Rachel, that, well, London and then... Oh, London, yeah. Yeah, I keep, I keep yeah. saying Brazil because London's happening, but it's not really in my head. It's, it's Brazil. <laughs> I'm excited it's worryingly for it. close, all of it, anyway. What's that? <laughs> it's worryingly close. Yeah, well, five weeks are we at the minute, I think. Uh, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, gotta yeah. get jags. Let's not talk about that because I'll faint on the podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, as as uh, as I said, to everyone very much look forward to sort of hearing everyone's stories and and seeing seeing how the travels go. But before I let everyone go, there is two questions I ask them all, and uh, the the questions I'm going to ask yourself are one, where do you see yourself in five years, and two, if you had any advice for people to come coming into farming, what would they be? A flight with their partner potentially because it might might just make you find your way into farming like you did <laughs> <laughs> um so where in five years um yeah I mean uh it's a difficult question isn't it um I I mean what I'd really like to be doing is running a you know more successful version of the herd we've got at the moment you know with the kind of pasture-based stuff going um well and um yeah, being more, I guess, um, a lot of the stuff we've done in the last five, ten years has been quite about our farm and our sort of system and what we've done. And I really want to be connected more to the sort of broader debates that are going on and um, the sort of wider um, discussion of, you know, where food and farming are going in this country. So um, I wouldn't say I've got like, a very clear idea of how to bring that about, but I suppose Nuffield is part of that. Um yeah, I've got a bit of an itch to maybe um, do a carry on at Aberystwyth and um, you can do a, they offer a professional doctorate in um, agriculture. So kind of depending how, you know, how my Nuffield goes and I'm just finishing off the, um, my research project for my MRES. So I could turn that into, um, I could build on that to do some doctoral stuff. So maybe in five, maybe by five years time, I would have, um, got to doing that um we'll see <laughs> but i don't know it feels a bit scary to think five years ahead um 
And what was the second question again? Just like advice for people coming into farming. Um, my advice, well, it's a great sector and I think it's a lot more, um, it's kind of not what people think. So I do think it um, has a lot to offer you know, it has a lot to offer smart people. I don't know, a lot of people I went to, I went to Cambridge, a lot of people I went to university with um, went to on, on to work in the city and do the kind of so-called high-flying jobs. And um, to some extent, I always feel a little bit like farming is a bit of a joke profession in some ways, but I really kind of, I feel that's very, um, you know, it's really not like that. And it's a great, you know, the people in farming are great and, you know, it's really fun and intellectually challenging and um kind of you know lively place to be working um and I guess I would yeah kind of tell anyone to challenge their preconceptions about what they think farming and farmers might be like um and then I think the other thing I always say is like if you want to start a farming business make a business plan because I think I see far too many people wanting to go into farming and um be quite um yeah naive about the numbers side of things I think and just kind of hoping oh we'll start with a few and then we'll see how it goes and stuff and I think you really have to know you really have to be on top of you know the cost of production and all that stuff well Cormac is good on this subject but um I think he had a stat with something like 80% of British sheep producers don't know their cost of production um he said something like that, didn't he? Yeah. 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 Um, which is a bit horrifying, isn't it? I mean, it's... I um, think for a lot of people in that position, well aware of that, yeah. Yeah. Um, <coughs> and it is easy. I mean, I know what it's like, and I'm not saying I'm perfect in this respect at all, because, yeah, there's a lot of things where someone will ask, well, Cormac was asking us, like, what's your cost of rearing a kid? And I was like great question <laughs> why have I never worked that out or you know like what's your there's so many different ways of kind of thinking about your stats and your cost of production but I think that kind of um yeah if you want your life not to just be horrendously stressful then making sure that the financials stack up and that you've yeah costed your own time in and that you're thinking of it as a business um is really important um yeah just to confirm, was Cormac's question goat or human kid? <laughs> <laughs> I assumed he meant goat, but now you've got me wondering. <laughs> I should oh. have a on that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone wants to look into that because I'm going to feel that it would not make sense. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. No, here, Rachel, it's been a pleasure. I always sort of quite like to glance at the clock. It's already been an hour and ten minutes. Time just oh. sort of years and, um, no, it's it's been good to chat. As I said at the start, you and I sort of, along with three others, Yasmin, uh, Charlotte and Cormac all sat together really for the most of the day and mm -hmm. albeit you were sat next to each other and barely really spoke because <laughs> it's like, now you're doing this and now you're doing this and then it's intense and sort of missed it all. Yeah. So it's good to sit down and chat. And maybe there'll yeah. be I say this as if there's going to be chance in London, Brazil. There's not. Maybe there'll be a bit more chance to have a bit of crack and a bit of chat in, in our time oh, there. Oh, well, there will. Yeah, well, there will. It's going to be quite full on, so I look forward to that. Thank you. I'll fight or something anyway, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. I know that'll be a fatal journey. Uh, so thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it hugely. And uh, I hope I hope you've had a good time yourself. Um, yeah. I've just quickly, as we were talking, got in touch with a person 
in France who has goats themselves just to see if they know of anyone with rolled goats that I could maybe put you in touch with. So Oh yeah, brilliant. Yeah, is yeah. Is of any assistance. Yeah. Um but yeah. Yeah. Any um yeah, anyone who's got um contacts or ideas, like very open to suggestions. I'm at the kind of um gathering suggestions yeah. stage rather than have anything um yeah, booked or no, um organized. So yeah. I can tell you the researcher type that gets like all the information and then does it all. Whereas I'm like, there's a tiny bit of information. Let's do something with that. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for coming on. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, that's Rachel Yarrow uh, speaking all things goats and goat's cheese, which I never actually really said throughout how much I love goat's cheese. Goat's cheese is on a menu. I'm having it. It is my favourite. Um, I used to be a quote unquote chef, cook, whatever the word is. And uh, I learned from a Mediterranean cook i guess he was turkish and it was very sort of greek turkish based and one of the things was a was a goat's cheese salad and by god it was good um so always been a fan but i hope you've enjoyed the podcast as well the last episode as i said was with guillaume parry um i'm not sure what the next one's going to be i think it's sam watson jones as i said uh but not not 100 percent sure so that's been episode number 177 with rachel yarrow so we'll see you for number 178 with maybe sam but maybe not sam See you then. I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2 cast as much as I have. And I would just like to quickly thank our primary sponsors of the show today, Howden Rural, the new name for A-Plan Rural. If you follow Howden Rural on social media, you'll see the plethora of work that they do to support this sector. And it's been a pleasure to work alongside them so far and long may it continue. For more information about them, be sure to check out howdeninsurance.co.uk forward slash rural. And I'll see you for the next episode.